Cross the Streams Podcast. Cross the Streams Podcast. Kip and Kane. Season 4 is here. New content in all our favorite segments like Listen Up, Hometown Heroes, Useless Full Information, Calling Men In, and many more. The Ion Brothers are back, everybody. Content warning for today. The subject materials and conversation will contain topics that may prove triggering for those uh, listening. Be sure to take care of yourself. Pause, discontinue the episode whenever you need to. We feel the content is very important and worth our airing, but wanted to make sure everyone out there has a full advance warning of what we're discussing. Cross the Streams podcast, Kip coming back with you. Uh, hopefully earlier this week you got a chance to listen to our interview with Kate Chisholm, the founder of the Surviving Justice podcast. And this is, I like these the setup we're kind of going back to where we get our interviews in, post that episode, and then bring on folks uh, that I think can lend some expertise to the discussion and some uh, different perspectives. And so I'm lucky uh, to have Andrea Doyle-Hugmeyer come back with us. You've heard her on our own episode where we interviewed her about her job and career and advocacy and fighting uh, and prevention work and uh, our connection at Willamette. But this, in this edition on the drive, I really wanted her to just listen to the podcast and help me kind of debrief all the powerful stuff that came out in talking to Kate. So, Andrea, welcome back to the pod. Thank you, Kip. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm uh, looking forward to just reacting together to yeah, the podcast right? that we listen to. I yeah. think, like, I, honestly, like, pods, I've been doing pods, or even, like, I know we were just joking about all the Zooms and all the people on Zooms these days. <laughs> I do feel like these are kind of therapeutic for me. Just talking to humans during these yeah. crazy times is, 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 is it, I, I, I'm always, like, nervous and going into them, and then I'm always like, I'm so glad I talked to those people today. Right. So, I think welcome it's, back. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I think it's just that search for connection that yes. we're ha- lacking in some sort of way right now right. Um, <laughs> through all the various forms of technology or just rearranging our lives based on COVID-19. Right. And you and I have living on here in Salem, giving getting through crimson dark skies. Uh, with all the wildfires, and I and I don't want to make light of anybody that lost property or loved ones to the fires, but those skies, it was like being on Mars. It was yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it was such a strange, strange couple of days, and um, I think it's important to note that the fires are not fully depleted, right? Yeah. Um, even though the skies have turned blue again in our area over here. Yes. So I'm trying to be mindful of that, too. Absolutely. The, you know, talk to us a little bit about how has the year started off for you and yours? Um, I know you've been on during the pandemic, but how, how has career, family, how is everybody on your, that you're, you're in charge of? How is everyone doing? Oh, man. Um, gosh, I don't think I can uh, <laughs> yeah, some really capture the entire <laughs> year, but uh, in terms of how we're doing right now, uh, we're really just trying to adjust to uh, back to school mm-hmm. and managing you know, several children online, um, and, you know, working from home, schooling from home, um, that's clearly presenting some different challenges. Um, but I think we're, we're making the best of things. We're getting through it just day by day. Um, yeah. Have you guys had, well, we joke a little bit. I know my house, my wife's teaching, right? Same in my, all three of my kids are trying to do zoom as well. So have you guys had technological difficulties? Oh man. Oh, have we? (laughs) Uh, yes, the Zoom bandwidth, as we were yeah, just talking about, has clearly uh, 
reached its capacity, I mm-hmm. think, once the school district uh, started last week. And I feel as though all the, yeah, all the internet juices have been sucked dry in the uh, last few days my with wife everyone I, online. I don't know if you feel the same way. I feel like more exhausted after either presenting or participating on a Zoom than I think I would if I was even in person. I'd obviously rather be in person. I think just the mental energy of paying attention to your own face for so long or like yeah. you have to be so present. And even if we're in person, you can kind of drift off a little bit. But on <laughs> Zooms, right, I feel like I'm just dialed in. Like I end up sweating out on a freaking Zoom. <laughs> yes. I understand what you're saying, and I, I think I had a, another experience where I actually had to like record a lecture uh, for a class the other day, and um, I wouldn't say it was exhausting from the kind of level of focus, mm-hmm. but more like the lack of confidence in mm. knowing how people engaged was something that threw me off, and yeah. and I, I find that even with. Um, we're doing some in-person um, classes and people wearing masks. Like it's just really hard to gauge like how they're responding to the content. Um, you know, you kind of sense a lot of times like folks who want to chime in um, and you're just, yeah, you're just missing a lot of that with the masks or through a recording or sometimes with Zoom. That's a great point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Like usually you can key off a smile. Or you can mm-hmm. key off somebody's eyebrow raise that they might be interested, or even they're looking. Yeah, that's a. I didn't even think of that, yeah. but that's absolutely true. Scanning for that and getting nothing. Yes. Like my jokes yes. aren't playing over Zoom, Andrea. They're not playing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been in the same boat. The comedy is not landing. No, I need whole new material. Goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah so happy to have met Kate throughout this um, and obviously her story as, as, a, as a survivor um, and then taking her fight your own individual fight and, and pushing forward to try to help other victims uh, find some semblance of, of justice in, in pursuing I mean where, where what struck with you right off the bat I was just so thankful that she was willing and, and sharing and opening up I, I was really nervous going into that interview not because her and I don't know each other and we haven't conversed before but I, I'm always very conscious of am I going to say a triggering thing am I going to put somebody in a, in a space that's not comfortable so I was just so thankful that her, she made it really easy for me to kind of guide that conversation yeah yeah and I think it was really important too even at the beginning uh, you had done the kind of content advisory um, for folks listening in so I think that was helpful just for the audience um, but gosh on a whole I think the, the immediate reaction I have is just kind of in a holistic way how terribly disappointing and awful this experience mm. was for her mm-hmm. and how um, so ma- at so many different places the system or systems together just ultimately failed yeah um, for her and yep. yeah I, that, that was kind of the grand takeaway as I, I was listening through it's like oh my gosh and that too and that too yeah and that person. Right. 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 Um, so just, yeah, a holistically awful experience. In your um, in your work, you know, I mean, you've been you've done advocacy work, you've done prevention work, you've done class teaching. Like, is that, you know, how do you go about navigating when people first arrive to you to share these stories? I mean, well, what is your process? What are best case practices? I think Kate and I talked about there the first person people disclose to that reaction can make or break a lot of things, right? So advice from you or best things from you for folks that might find themselves in a situation where a victim trusts them to be the first one they tell. Yeah, 
Um, I think just some kind of basic skills if someone's disclosing and experiencing their own sexual um, sexual violence. Uh, one, you know, of course, assessing kind of immediate safety concerns, mm-hmm. right? So um, maybe it's a disclosure, you know, days later, weeks, years later. Um, so certain kind of levels of harm may not be um you know, at a level, um, requiring immediate action, Mm -hmm. but that's something to kind of think about is if, if someone is coming to you for that immediate help, urgent help. Um, and then, you know, being receptive, just, um, you know, being grateful that they are trusting you with some really important and sensitive information and therefore just listening, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listening, uh, believing them, right? Mm-hmm. Even explicitly saying "I believe you" is really important uh, because, as we heard in her experience, um, so many times people either not listening to what her needs and concerns were, or just not even believing that it was yeah. a legitimate situation to be concerned about. Yeah. Um, I love that part where you said explicitly say, I believe you. I think that's uh, yeah. something that I've learned, but obviously maybe a lot of folks don't know. Like that's powerful. Just those three really words, powerful. right? Yes. Yes. But go ahead. Keep going. Um, yeah. The validation again, which kind of ties into that believing, right? Um, validating their fears, their worries, their, um, you know, the, the details that they might be sharing with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, right, not questioning their actions or behavior um, and not going into that realm of something that could be perceived as victim blaming, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes I think when we want to be helpful, we can quickly resort to um, asking questions about why they didn't do something differently, mm-hmm. right? And I think yeah. that's a really personal response that someone's usually having um, around maybe what they and their own their own yeah. brains uh, want to avoid and if for whatever reason this was a situation they would also be in. Mm-hmm. Um, so being really careful to not engage in that victim blaming language is important um, and instead doing that validation um, for the person explaining the, the yeah. situation. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess, um, too, I like to comment about just one's own kind of scope of responsibilities or resources yeah. um, in handling the situation, yes, right? Yes. I mean, if it's a friend coming to you, um, you're, of course, I'm you know, hoping that there's going to be a lot of trust and respect in that relationship. There's going to be um, just an assumption that you're going to offer that emotional support, But um, if someone is seeking just regular kind of therapy or, um, you know, if you as a friend are like, wow, like, I really want to be here for you. But also this this might be really jarring for me to Mm -hmm. listen to Mm -hmm. kind of monitoring that and knowing when um, to maybe recommend. I shouldn't say recommend um, when to at least explain how there are others who can maybe provide that support and help. And I'm sure that's probably hard for folks too, because and I know for me as a fixer, I think Kate and I talked a little bit about that too. Like as a, a you know, I want to come in. How can I fix this? How can we go here? Let's go A to B to C. And in that moment, yeah. like you mentioned, they might just need you to listen and say yeah. those three words and and be there. And that's like you mentioned, it's so hard to fight that reaction, depending on who the person is to you, etc. Yeah. The have you? 
so many things in this, and, and I, I'm, a, I'm really interested in your knowledge and experience with some of the things she talked about that she learned going through the process are so broken in the system. Um, you know, parts we talked about were, you know, exceptional clearance. I had no idea that was even a thing. Um, I had, you know, the part where she talked about how that first patrol contact and there's no training for folks that arrive on that scene. So, you know, maybe not, you don't have to do those specifically, but maybe shared frustrations as a person that's, that's tried to help folks through the same broken system is these, are these common themes you hear? Um, yes and no. Like I want to acknowledge that. Yes. Like on, you know, a very large scale, there are certainly absolutely flaws in our system Mm -hmm. and in the way, um, victim response operates. Yeah. Um, I think just for me personally, being in kind of the um, communities and institutions that I've worked in or that I'm currently working in, I actually feel a lot more confident mm. about mm-hmm. our response methods uh, being so much more survivor centered. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I. I I, yeah, I was definitely shocked to hear that there was no kind of coordinated community response right. team. And I thought the same thing because I've heard from you and other folks that term, right? That yeah, exact yeah. Like, community-based, survivor-based approach, right? And I, I felt so awful for her having not been able to experience a similar setup. Yeah, and I didn't catch where she was from. I don't know if you have that information, but it did make me curious. I'm like, oh, I want to go Google that. Like, yes. where's, their, where's their community agency? Right. What's Who going on with heck? their county yes. yeah, response team? Yes, how do we fix this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did kind of go there for a little bit. Um, but I guess it's important to kind of acknowledge the history of that, too, and why it does surprise me and you. Know, um, I mean, the coordinated community response team emerged – I think in like the mid eighties, right? Mm-hmm. And it was um, out of Duluth, Minnesota. Okay. Um, and you're probably familiar with the Duluth um, power and control wheel. Well, go ahead, explain right? it a little so, bit to the folks listening. I love it. Yeah, I'll share so du- a graphic of it too on the episode. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. So the Duluth power and control wheel um, really just um, came from a lot of like feminist organizing, um, addressing not just the kind of singular behaviors of one individual, but connecting it to that larger system around um, these behaviors being attached to gender and therefore power and control. Mm. And so abuse was kind of a um, an attempt and, you know, often a result of um, men abusing um, their wives and it was kind of framed in that way like as a batterer's mm, okay. uh, response um, in, or attempt to have control in a domestic violence situation so the kind of coordinated community response team was an attempt to um, kind of address that systematic okay. issue and bring um, you know different representatives um, from law enforcement, community agencies, so advocates um, in that regard, um, you know, medical representatives, so folks from, you know, the local hospitals, um, you know, representatives from, like, the DA's office, right, to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to basically plan um, what training might look like, plan prevention programs in the community, uh, plan, you know, what that 
response would look like on the scene um, if, you know, 911 was called and they knew it was a um, domestic violence situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and I say this all to just contextualize it, right? Yeah, to right. know that this has been in place since the mid-80s. It started in Minnesota and now, you know, kind of nationally, um, this has been, you know, proliferating as... Um, a positive model Mm -hmm. and so in that sense yeah hearing like there was no one you know no advocate to talk to um i'm just oh yeah cringe cringe so hard yeah (laughs) right it's i uh you know and i felt there was god there's so many things in in so impressed and i i it's kind of similar to and correct me here and if i'm comparing it wrong when folks talked about when when Chadwick Boseman passed away, and obviously he was battling cancer, and I was very cognizant of folks pi- talking about, hey, this is great, celebrate what he did, but don't slap that expectation on everyone that's battling cancer to go out and be this superhero, and they're all weak compared to how he lived. So I'm trying to not use language, although I'm, I'm like, what Kate's doing is amazing, right? But I also don't want to paint it as if every survivor should be out doing this crusade in the same exact way. But it's also give her her flowers for doing it. Does that make sense? And I'm trying to strike that balancing act. What what are your thoughts there? Right. I mean, I I would say, you know, aside from just the horrific, you know, appalling situation of being disappointed and um, how she had to navigate this experience. I mean, the takeaway of her strength and resiliency and the fact that she's created an amazing um, just project mm-hmm. and activism and yeah. um, you know opportunity for survivors to speak. I mean, that's incredible. So I think, um, you know, finding elements of positivity yeah. is important. Um, I do... Yeah, I, I don't think that um, this is, and she acknowledged this a few times um, when she was chatting about it, um, this isn't necessarily the way everyone's going to find yeah. their path or their you know point of healing. Um, so I think that that, like you're saying, kind of the expectation that this is what a survivor needs to do um, after, you know, their experience, mm-hmm. survivors react, they have different needs they have Mm -hmm, different ideas mm -hmm. of what healing is for them um so i think yeah you're right in kind of acknowledging that and um you know kind of us collectively validating that that's going to look different for different people yeah what talk to me about what's your can you lend more uh discussion to when she talked about that feeling of oh i think if i being drugged versus being drunk and the differences and kind of Mm -hmm. maybe in a prevention you know discussion here uh, that was interesting to me because I think I would have had a similar reaction. Like, is this how I'm supposed to feel after being drugged? Should it be like being hung over? Uh, go into what, what you've experienced in, in helping folks in that range. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, oftentimes, even if there's uncertainty that any sort of drug was involved, a lot of times um, survivors may speak with an advocate to kind of apply language to their experience, Mm. Um, right? Like feeling either disoriented or um, having, of course, lost control um, in how they've um, experienced the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's often, yeah, often that desire to just help define or apply language to what they went through. So, um, 
I think when we're talking about um, the involvement of any sort of drug, Mm -hmm. when someone's kind of explaining the experience um, and there's like a severe kind of gap in memory um, that where they also maybe explained, um, yeah, there was a little drinking or, um, in the past, I don't remember feeling this way, but for whatever reason, like after that night, um, you know, this, this is how I felt. Um, you can kind of pick up that, um, there, there's some information indicative that that is likely to have been the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I would also say, though, that even just the way that our brains work, right, if there's a trauma happening to our bodies, our brains kind of shut down mm-hmm. as it relates to um, memory making. Mm. So that's that's also a little bit of yeah. um, information that, you know, I guess survivors sometimes struggle with sorting through. Um, and then that's and, painted and as, oh, well, you're making this up because you can't recall it specifically, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, back to the point around, you know, either detectives or whoever's kind of the initial recipient of information, if they don't have any sort of training or Mm -hmm. awareness around how that trauma does impact the brain, um, you know, they're likely to interpret that as a misremembering, as, um, you know, someone maybe seeking attention or, right, like all the... Yeah. Kind of go to victim blaming ideas. That's I uh, thank you or for bringing even that false reporting. Right? right, thank you for bringing that that whole connection to the circle of the trauma and brain because I think that's exactly in episode nine that she Kate did for the Surviving Justice Pod. It talks about quote unquote normal responses to an abnormal yeah. situation, the impact of trauma, and even in the limited time that I've been you know researching and, and finding out stuff. Like I think I would have at age twenty two been like, well, you fight or flight. That's what you do. Right? right, if you're in trouble, you and then in doing the work and listening and learning, oh no, freeze is absolutely a human reaction yes. that's not controllable, right? Yes, and yes, I, go yes. and go ahead, speak more because I know you you are more fluent in that. But I've been like, oh my god, I have to tell in our prevention part that we do with our guys, they have to know this because men, right, right. men especially, are I like, hope. well, I would just Hulk out. That's what I do, I, right? Okay, I remember you comparing it to um, sharks. <laughs> yes, You're yes. Like, oh, Shark Week! Like I learned this on Shark yes. Week. I'm like, yeah, the neurobiology of trauma. Exactly, like, and yeah, the, the, the biggest, like, right? The best killer in the ocean when he gets yeah. flipped over, guys. He no longer yeah. does anything. <laughs> you yeah. know, right? So then again, like kind of taking it back to a survivor now having to go through the details of the situation, you know, with a detective are now talking about how, you know, they froze up, they laid there, which then, you know, kind of some folks resort to, oh, okay, so that means you were complicit, right? Mm. So you weren't saying no, so you weren't um, trying to run away or fight the person off, right? Yep. Uh, So that's, again, like if we're not kind of intentionally – either unpacking or mitigating what those dominant messages are that we get, you know, from, I want to say, like, from our society, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> As a for whole, sure. Whether Facts. it's the media or yep. education or whatnot. Yep. Um, right? I mean, that's kind of seeped into our brains already. So um, if people aren't intentionally training um, to understand those details more thoroughly, we're going to resort to a, a situation where we're not supporting the survivor to mm-hmm. the, best, the best that we can. Right. 
Right. Oh, man, this, I, I appreciate this conversation so much. And um, as you're talking and making some points, I'm seeing like these exact things on Kate's list of episodes, like part two, oh. victim blaming, trauma and the patrol officers. Right. Like everything you said. I'm trying to force people over there. Like You talked about building the community and needing it. Advocates, coalitions and building community capacity. Uh, all these things, uh, you know, once again, just reiterating what we've said. So impressed with, with the work she's done. I was and I know how hard it is for you and I or Carly and Jeff to all get together for a, a, our podcast. Right. And to do 18 episodes with detectives and lawyers yeah. And past victims, yeah. that in and of itself was just dumbfounding how awesome that is to me. The, and the yeah. amount of work, how daunting that task was. Right. So giving her credit for that was absolutely, absolutely something. The, I mean, the, yeah, the sheer coordination of people's schedules and the content yes. building. And yeah, I absolutely, that is a remarkable feat. So she's done an awesome job. And I, I really think, you know, the podcast itself for somebody that's on the, the you know, the prevention side with the, with men, I think it's a digestible medium that we can explore now. Because they all listen to pods. They all do podcasts. Yeah. Um, so right, even, working out, listening yes, to that, that's how yep. they do. They, they tell me about their yep. pods every day. And if I can get them to listen to five minutes of one of these and then we talk about it, you know, <laughs> right. maybe they, they can turn off the NFL podcast for a little bit uh, yeah. and come on to one of these. Anything else strike you uh, bef before we uh, sign off for the evening? But I really appreciate these quick reacts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I, I started thinking this initially. Um, you know, and, and kind of that critique of failed responses yes, from yeah. all the people she encountered um, and, and kind of tying it back to my own work around, you know, just direct service and working with survivors. Always, always, um, in an effort to let that survivor lead the path forward, mm. I ask, what does justice mean to you? Ooh. What does that look like? Yeah. What does, you know, you in a, a healed you know, uh, well, place of well-being. Like, what what is that vision that mm -hmm. you have for yourself? And that helps guide us forward, right? That's amazing. So I, yeah. Wait, I have wanna, you all, is that something you developed, talk, took from somewhere? I, I love that. Um, I'm not sure. If I'm, I'm now trying to think back. I feel like I've been doing it for so long. You can stake your flag. You can put your flag originated. in the ground. That's yours. I just started doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, <don't> know. <laughs> um, I don't want to claim it though. If like I probably did read it or. Maybe right. in a training, no, um, but it's something I hold to, be, and I, I think it's been so relevant, um, you know, in, in the current times oh, when we're yeah. talking about defunding the police. Mm -hmm. And you know, she mentioned that um, a little bit towards the end with Black Lives Matter yeah. being on her mind. And I think what's really interesting too, and um, I wish that maybe this is another podcast for her, or, or um, we can kind of think about it uh, for later on, but. Um, you know, this idea, this assumption that the system would somehow be helpful, yeah. right, is maybe the initial uh -huh. um, hang up that we uh -huh. need to get over, yeah. right? And it connects to this just bigger idea and theory around you know, law enforcement, the court system, uh -huh. right, was really a system created to benefit certain individuals yeah right yep um who have privilege and power and perhaps the means to navigate those systems successfully mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i think it just offers it's not us. even an intersection right it's like the same road 
And I, I, right. I love using yeah. intersection, but we're it's the same road. Yeah, you're totally right. right. The white supremacist, this heteropatriarchy, right? Yes. Like, if we want to go yes. big and broad. It, it applies here. Yes. Yes, it does. And so I think, um, you know, on one hand, of course, we want to hold perpetrators accountable to their behaviors, mm-hmm. right? And to some extent, I think many of us want them to have some sort of punishment attached to that, right? Right. So I absolutely understand the way that we've leaned on and even sought like legitimacy through those systems um, of law enforcement and the court system. But at the same time, right, if we go back to that question of what does justice look like, what does healing look like for that one person, Mm -hmm. it may not have anything to do with going through, you know, a police report or, you know, a trial. Mm -hmm. Um, It may not have anything to do with, you know, putting their perpetrator in jail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have to kind of be open to those alternatives. And I think um, if we were to, like she was saying at the end, right, like allocate funding yeah. to these community mm-hmm. uh, agencies that can offer different forms of resources, yep. we're not just going to see survivors better supported, but we may actually see communities thriving in ways that don't perpetuate violence yep absolutely no i appreciate that point a lot because that absolutely when she when i asked her about what what's next for her on the horizon and we started talking on this same point like you know her frustrations with the system and and recognizing exactly what you said that it's all the same broken thing Uh, and maybe not even broken it's working perfectly and it's designed to be terrible right for others yes Right. Yeah, even to her point, she said, you know, talking with her like friends who are people of color and, and I guess hearing like that disconnect, right, where she kind of entered this with the assumption that um, the system was supposed to work for her, but yeah. then kind of leaning on the perspectives of, you know, uh, people of color to say like, well, where have you been, right? Mm-hmm. The system hasn't worked for us mm-hmm. ever. Right. Yes. <laughs> right? No, great point. So I love that kind of personal revelation um, that kind of connects connects our liberation yeah right and she was able to um kind of offer some insight to her lived experience through that which was important uh it makes me think like you mentioned it probably is a whole nother podcast and we yeah. if we keep going down the road we'll still be in the pandemic a year and a half from now so we'll have plenty of time uh, for another pod but sure, as sure. you know as as a man of color like i and in, in groups and circles of my friends of other bipoc men who have the mm-hmm. complete distrust for the system Except for when it comes to proving or disproving that an athlete had did something to a woman, right? Yeah. And the juxtaposition that is like, no, no, I don't trust the police except for investigating the claim by that girl that I think it's her fault, right? right? And it's it's so, and I know I was that guy. Like I'm, a, I know I was that guy. You know, in my in early in my teenage and younger years before getting slapped in the face with reality and truth, right? But that's that's such yeah. a frustrating thing well, to hear. Absolutely. I mean, I want to totally, yeah, of course, acknowledge that um, even, you know, specifically to white women, right? Like we've used, and saying we as a white woman, we have historically used the system against black men, you know, mm-hmm. men of color as it relates to sexual violence, right? Like mm-hmm. we've um, been able to um, kind of gain power in that way from this flawed system. Um, so I don't want to be dismissive of that, mm-hmm. but I think um, just as we expand that level of criticism, we're just able to 
can reveal how much more connected and yeah. I guess opportunities there there are to build those coalitions together. Absolutely. So it's about breaking down that that whole bigger system so we can all be free of it. I just wish we had more than this. Lives. I feel like we have a plastic hammer that we're hammering at the walls oh. with. I think we, we need bigger hammers, but I'm with you. The I'm still baby, swinging. Like I'm the still swinging. Yes. Yeah, oh, I know, oh. and I, I do think the brick wall is a very helpful metaphor, right? Like mm-hmm. banging our head against it or plastic hammer. You don't really get very far. No. Um, but you can make, you can do a lot more damage if you have more little plastic yes. hammers, right. I suppose. More, more people <laughs> swinging. At least more people yes. swinging. Well, hey, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on, um, and uh, we'll get this up immediately. And as always, love you lending your expertise and insight. Yeah, well, thank you for Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.